You're listening to the best of the day. I say you, man, you're the best. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. And the Kansas City Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57. It's the greatest feeling in the world. Being on top of the mountain. And we're gonna we're gonna celebrate this right here, baby. Uh, we're gonna celebrate this uh, the, the right way. What does the moment mean to you, Andy? It means a lot. I could kiss you right now, but I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Happy Super Bowl hangover day, everybody. It is Alfred, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Okay, we got a big show ahead on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, when we booked this show, Andy said, two footballs? Yes, two football guests. Not one, Andy. Two footballs? Two footballs. It was the most adorable thing for a person that works in sports for a living. Two footballs today. <laughs> yes, Andy, uh, the Super Bowl is quite popular yeah, these days. We're going to talk to not one, but two football guys. Wow. Uh, Moj is going to join us live from Arizona at 6.30. Uh, Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders, also from Arizona, is going to join us at 7 o'clock. Uh, at 8 o'clock, we're going to dive into the world of the Vancouver Canucks. Ian McIntyre is going to join us. A reminder, tonight's game, Canucks-Red Wings, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. You can hear it all right here on Sportsnet 650. That's an early wake-up for Moj after the Super Bowl. I was going to say, when I saw that you had like, booked what, one of the footballs, and it was Moj, the That's oblong person. 6.30 in himself. the morning. Yeah, it's I 7.30 know. there, but yeah, still very early. We stopped calling <laughs> them know. the footballs. <laughs> yeah. And we were joined live by the football. <laughs> the human football that is Moj is going to join us at 6.30. Yeah, it is very early for Moj. I'm sure he's... He probably hasn't slept yet, though. Yeah, I'm Let's sure. Be honest. And I'm oh, sure he's really... better. Yeah, I'm sure he's really <laughs> excited to do the hit. I'm sure he's going to be full of energy. Mm-hmm. So again, Moj at 6.30, Tannier at 7.00. IMAC at 8, Canucks Red Wings tonight, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Hear everything here right on Sportsnet 650. To confuse the issue, we're giving away tickets today, but not to tonight's game. That Correct. Is, we're giving it away. Don't to, do what Donnie Don does. Right. So you can still just win tickets in a general sense. Send them now. Start now, 6.03 in the morning. What we learned into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Uh, what did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? Let us know. If you hashtag it, WWL, and add a ticket emoji, you'll be entered into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Rangers on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. Uh, Outside of the Canucks Wings game tonight, it is a light night in the National Hockey League. Just four other games, one involving Canadian teams, Calgary and Ottawa, 11 NBA games, and Jason, the Merseyside Derby across the pond. It's blue, it's red, it's Everton, it's Liverpool. Well, that they go today like, at noon. That actually does seem like a big one for both teams because Liverpool can need can use any win they can find, and actually that goes double for Everton, who yes. are in. Are they still in the relegation zone? They are in the drop zone, oh, and okay. on Saturday they play the team just outside of the drop zone, my beloved Leeds United. Oh my so it's God. a big week. We're what four minutes four minutes into a show. And you've already referenced Leeds. Yeah. Do you want to talk about their no, manager search? No, I don't. It's a turn t- this morning. I want to talk about the Super Bowl. Okay, so let's fine. get into what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? So it's funny 
as we came in this morning, Jason asked a very poignant question. What's the big talking point from yesterday's Super Bowl? We all know that the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35, to the Chiefs' second Super Bowl in the last four seasons. But what was the big talking point? Was it the halftime show? Rihanna's pregnant. That was a big talking point. <laughs> that trended on Twitter. Thank you, Andy. Let's not get distracted. Let's just go that through was the Andy's things. Fault. I know. Let's not get distracted. Was it Patrick Mahomes being the first player since Kurt Warner to win a regular season and Super Bowl MVP in the same year? Was it? And then I thought, no, I know exactly what it was. It was the call at the end of the game. As a matter of fact, it was the first text that we had in this morning, courtesy of Surrey Ryan to the Dunbar Lumber text line. The weak holding call on Philly aside, that great game should be remembered for Andy Reid's precise play calling in the second half. Wrong, Surrey Ryan. The first part of your text. That penalty was the talking point in the aftermath and really what a lot of people are going to be talking about in the coming days for a variety of reasons. Yeah, for me, the the story is actually probably not that. The main story for me probably is the fact that I think you can call the Chiefs a dynasty now, which is weird because they've only won two titles. But just the way they've done it in the last five years, they've been to the Super Bowl three times in the last four years, actually. And just the accomplishments of Patrick Mahomes, who at 27 years old has already pretty much booked his spot in the Hall of Fame. He's got two Super Bowl titles now, two Super Bowl MVPs. um, And I think that puts him above the likes of... Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, guys with only one Super Bowl title. But as for the play, like I just didn't want, I didn't want to come here and say um, the story of that game was the missed or the the call. Some people will say it, they missed it or they screwed it up or whatever, because the game was really good. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take anything away from what the Chiefs have accomplished over the last few years it's incredible I mean they really have gone from this um it wasn't a sad sack franchise it was like a really well supported franchise that had actually won a Super Bowl back in the day um so they were they were a good franchise but to me they were always this franchise that yeah they had some really good teams but they were never able to get it done now you just look at the accomplishments that they've had under Patrick Mahomes. It's actually seven straight division titles for them, mm-hmm. but Alex Smith was still the quarterback for two of them. And then they get Patrick Mahomes, and what they've done since then is incredible. Yeah. I mean, he, you mentioned it. he could retire tomorrow, and he would be on his way to Canton. That's how much he's put together at 27 years old. Think about if he plays till he's 45 like Brady. Mm-hmm. He's got about 20 Super Bowls. So five years he's been the starting quarterback in Kansas City. Over that time, five straight AFC championships, five straight division titles. So they don't lose the AFC West, and they don't go anywhere short of the AFC title game. And every year that he starts, they win 12 games all five of his years in charge. Five straight Pro Bowls, two Super Bowl wins, two Super Bowl MVPs, two <laughs> NFL MVPs. Incredible. That's in five years. Yeah. Like, I understand Tom Brady's extended length of greatness is going to put him in a class all unto himself, but I'm not sure you've seen a better five-year window mm-hmm. from a starting quarterback. Even when Roethlisberger won, you know, he was the young guy that won a couple Super Bowls early. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wasn't doing, like, the, the league MVP, no, the Super Bowl MVP. No, like, the, the like fact that. that yeah. I think it was 99 when Kurt Warner won 
regular season MVP and Super Bowl MVP. So it's a long time since that even happened. Mm-hmm. And for Mahomes to go out and do it the way they did, on the ankle as well, which I'm not going to lie, it's 24-14 at halftime. Mahomes comes limping off the field, and I'm thinking, okay, that's a problem for the Chiefs. And if you followed along live betting at all, you could you could actually get the Chiefs at some really nice numbers at halftime. You could have got in at about plus 6.5, which is what I got them at. And the money line had spiked too, because I think a lot of people were wondering – okay, is this vaunted Philly pass rush we've heard so much about finally gotten to Mahomes, and is that going to be the story of the second half, mm-hmm. that he's a little bit hobbled and that they're all going to get after him? The amazing thing about that is that not only did he get over the ankle, but they figured out the Eagles completely in the second half. Kansas City scored on every single drive in the second half. The same way they figured out the 49ers Very four similar. years ago. Those similar storylines. Now, Tyler texts in and says, but the call was the story of the game. You can't deny it. Yeah, it's the story that you can debate afterwards, for sure, in typical sports talk radio style. Um, I thought it was soft, but Bradbury himself said, yeah, it was a hold. I was just hoping he'd let it slide. And what he maybe didn't say is, like, they're letting everything else slide, well, including the footing out there. That was bad. Um, okay, but, 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 hold on a sec. For me, I had no, no dog in this fight. Like, n- n- no horse in the race. As you, like, I, if the Chiefs had won, I'd been fine. If the Eagles would, would have won, I'd been fine. What I wanted and what I felt ripped off by <laughs> with the call was that the ending sucked. In a 38-35 to 35 game where the teams have gone back and forth yeah. trading scores. Here, okay, I, the reason I have a major problem with the penalty. One, it was the only defensive holding or pass interference penalty of the entire game. So when Bradbury says... Well, maybe he, it was the only one they saw. There's defensive holding or defensive pass interference on almost every time a quarterback drops back. Honestly, you could make a call almost any time. If that's the standard, mm-hmm. then there's no way that they went... Uh, three and three quarters of a football game without having something similar yeah. to that. So that's a problem because you're saying, well, wait a minute. If that's a penalty. He ran a nice route, though. I mean, may- seriously, though. May- maybe the refs were like, wow, that was like, I mean, he had that whip route where he was going one way and then, nope, he's going the other way. Oh, I don't, I don't. Right? Doubt- and it looked like the referees were probably like, man, if, if, if holding wasn't there, that might have been a touchdown. I don't doubt that it was a hold. I don't doubt it because the referee crew came out in the aftermath and were pretty clear-cut about it. James Bradbury, the DB for the Eagles, came out afterwards and said the same thing. All I'm saying is, in a game of that magnitude, and let's be, let's be honest here, every officiating crew across every single sport uh, utilizes game management. We like to think that they don't, but they absolutely do. Like, to suggest, you know, we were talking about, oh, you know, the NHL critics always say, just call the rule book as it's laid out. That's great in this sort of like Pollyanna unicorn world that you live in. Like, it doesn't work like that. Sometimes a standard is set at the beginning of the game. Right. And we've seen it in the NHL all the time. If you want to clamp down, and God, we've heard referees caught on hot mics about this. Sometimes they just call a penalty to settle things down. Well, let's imagine it if they, if they didn't call it. Uh, the, the, the Chiefs would have been forced to kick a field goal with... One minute and, what, 50 seconds the math, left? The math on it would have been that the Eagles would have been down three and they would have had the ball left with roughly 50 seconds on the clock. 50 seconds? That's Oh, they'll been able to uh, run the clock a little bit yeah. on... Right, okay. Because yeah, they would have had an additional down, so you're looking... No, 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 it was third down. 
Yeah, they would have been. They would have ran whatever was off the clock on fourth, I guess. How, I wonder they how they would have done that though. Yeah. Anyway, the one of the articles I was reading in the aftermath basically said it went oh, from okay. being um, the the Eagles getting the ball down through with four seconds left to the Eagles getting the ball down through with about fifty left. That would have been the difference. Okay. Had they marched. I mean, two, I would have liked you know. to see that. Well, that's the thing. In a, in, in a one-score game where it's gone back and forth, you talk about game management and officials. That penalty at that moment was so much more punitive to the Eagles than it was beneficial. Like, yes, the Chiefs got to run down the clock and bring a, a, a chip field goal even closer. Mm-hmm. But the Eagles had no chance in the aftermath to try and have something to come back with. Like 45 to 50 seconds with the way Hertz was playing, who, by the way, that might be one of the best – quarterback performances we've seen in a losing effort in Super Bowl history. You know, I I, I know what you're saying, but you're that not... fu- but that fumble, that fumble when you didn't take care of the ball. That is the argument that was the biggest that, play. That is game. a that is a major major play that I think tarnishes his otherwise excellent performance and tarnishes it in a, in a major way. And here's why. It's not just because the game finished with the score it did, and you're like, well, if he didn't do that, you know, the Eagles could have won or mm-hmm. something along those lines, right? The Eagles had a chance to bury the Chiefs more so in the first half. They could have been, they and, been up larger than 10. They could have been sure. up They could have been up a massive score. And while I still wouldn't have counted the Chiefs out, like even if they were down 21 at half, I don't think anyone would have counted the Chiefs out. But I think that first half, that was all Philly. Yep. Like that was Philly was playing their game and the Chiefs afterwards said like, yeah, we were off. Like we didn't we didn't have it. And I think they had to probably compose themselves a little bit during Rihanna's performance at halftime, which was amazing, by the way. And and, you know, like if, if he hadn't had that, things could have been different. So you can sit there and say, like, statistically, you look at his stats and, and, and that, like, yeah, he was great. He was awesome. He was terrific. But he made a major, major, <laughs> major, major mistake. Jalen Hurts set, like, four Super Bowl records yesterday, right? So he had the most combined points by a single player, uh, total touchdowns in the now he's in with Steve Young and Joe Montana, most rushing yards by a quarterback, most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback. Hell, most rushing touchdowns by a player, period. It's him and Terrell Davis now with 3E. Like, it was a bona fide stud performance. The issue was he made one mistake, mm-hmm. and Mahomes made none. Yeah. Like, that was the other thing about this, is that if you're looking at it from a Philly perspective, they came in with this vaunted defense that was – I mean, look at how like thoroughly they dominated the 49ers in the NFC Championship. Mm-hmm. It was all about getting to the quarterback and forcing turnovers. Getting getting to the many quarterbacks that yeah. San Francisco played. Right, when they had Christian McCaffrey back there, they got to him. <laughs> they got to all of them. But it didn't happen yesterday. And I, they're going to look back on – so they're going to look back on the Hurts fumble with regret. Mm-hmm. They're going to look back on the inability, especially in the second half, to get after Mahomes. And then they're going to look at the, the one penalty, the one costly penalty. So, I mean, you, it's so cliche to say a like game of inches and all that nonsense. But there was really like three defining moments for the Eagles in an otherwise really good performance. They went to the Super Bowl and put up 35 points. Mm-hmm. Like it was a great game. And I think that's why the ending is kind of – it's a dud, but it's also like it just left you wanting more. It's like you get this great game. It's back and forth. And then all of a sudden it ends – with the, the Chiefs, you know, kne- kneeling their way to the one, mm-hmm. and then a chip shot field goal that you knew Bucker wasn't going to miss. I was kind of hoping he'd miss it. Well, so was I. Well, I thought that maybe the incredible. footing. I thought, man, like, the grass is terrible <laughs> in Arizona. That was a big story. Can, by can the way, you too. imagine? By the way, I, I actually, I 
for one second put myself in the shoes of Butker when he when he had that kick and I'm do you think do you think this thought ever entered his mind with a shank? I cannot miss this. Like if you miss this, if you miss yeah. this of all kicks, like this is a chip shot. You don't get many easier kicks as as a kicker in the NFL anymore, right? Because even the conversions are tougher than that one was. That was the easiest kick he had Maybe all season? It was one of one. I mean, he nailed it, right? He didn't look nervous or anything like that. But he had missed a field goal earlier in the game uh, that went off the crossbar or the post or whatever you want to call it. Um, And and I just wonder if uh, in his mind – I wonder – I sometimes wonder in the minds of those guys if they have none of those thoughts because they're like, I can't afford to have those thoughts and I've trained myself to not have those thoughts. But, like, you know, if he misses that, I'm sitting there going – (laughs) <laughs> That'd be one of the most incredible misses of all times in sports. Oh yeah, like I, someone at the party. Pressure. Someone at the party I was at brought up Blair Walsh because that was the one that a oh, lot the of Minnesota one. Yeah, in 2015 yeah. against the Seahawks, that was a 27 yarder. That was about the same distance, but it was so cold. Yeah, but it's how sti- cold it was. But it was still one of those ones where it's like all you have to do is knock this chippy through, and we're done. <laughs> like the Seahawks are done, Vikings roll on, and that really, you know, you talk about the aftermath. That really derailed Walsh's career. Like, it was a defining moment because, as you said, it's like this is not just missing a kick to win a game. This is missing a kick where everyone on the planet is like, you have to make this because it's so easy. Uh, text in, you guys are forgetting the punt return. Yeah, there was a great punt return, too. Kadarius Tony had himself a game. I was laughing during that punt return because it sounded like someone whose first name was Tony was running. <laughs> Here goes Tony. Yeah. Tony and I was like, go, Tony. Come Tony. on, Anthony. Let's do this. Um, he, so I think that's the longest punt return in uh, Super Bowl history yeah. that he had there. That this It was one of those games where a few things are going to probably get overlooked because there was a lot that happened, especially on the offensive side of the football. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, one thing that I did kind of want to touch on was uh, Andy Reid, who is now moving into that pantheon of are you going to be – He's going to be hard to get to Belichick levels, but the fact that he's within spitting distance of a couple of them mm-hmm. is kind of crazy. And he's actually, because he's, he's done so well with two different organizations, he stands alone in a lot of coaching categories. Like, first ever coach to have 10-plus playoff victories with two different franchises and all that stuff. And <clears throat> the bar is going to be, can you get to, we're talking three, four, five Super Bowls. And it's not unrealistic with Mahomes only being 27 years old. Belichick's all-time with 31 playoff wins. Reed's at 22. So you start looking at that, too, and saying it's not out of the realm of possibility because how long is the Mahomes window open? I think it's almost as long as he's healthy and wanting to play football. I'm always very hesitant to do this. He's won two Super Bowl titles. He's so good yeah. at what he does. He is. Really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the big thing about yesterday. This is, is this is the By the way, this is the golf fan in me yeah. that – um, I mean, we did this with Tiger and Jack's major record, right? And Tiger actually gave it a good shot. But then you're like, if he keeps going like this, okay, well, here's the thing. Injuries play a role. Yeah, he's got to stay home. Life plays a role. And now he's stay you know, away from his brother. We, did, we did this stuff with, like, Rory McIlroy. And like Rory hasn't won a major now and, and ever because there's so many good players out there, mm-hmm. right? Like think it, 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 yeah, he's amazing. I mean, at 27 years old, but <laughs> we were also talking about heading into this Super Bowl. If the Chiefs lose this one, 
are the Chiefs now like the Atlanta Braves of the NFL in that they're this team that you know that has all the success in the regular season and also in the playoffs, but only got over the hump once. Yeah, right. No, it I, is very, very, very difficult to win the Super Bowl, and the reason and that's why the Tom Brady numbers and the Bill Belichick numbers are so impressive and, and frankly, insane, the amount of success that those two had together. And then Brady, just for good measure, when one went and won one more. Yeah, so that's really interesting because the Brady-Belichick, that's the dynasty. We've talked about this before. The coach, the head coach and the quarterback dynasty is kind of, it's the modern NFL, it's the, it's the spine, it's the center, it's the core group, whatever you want to call it. It's quarterback and it's head coach. And Brady and Belichick, because remember how many times the Patriots reinvented themselves with different personnel, with Brady and Belichick remaining the constants. Like, remember Randy Moss came in and got all the way to a Super Bowl with them. And then they became a more tight end dependent team when they had Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And then Mm -hmm. they had Wes Welker, and they're like, we need a new Wes Welker. So they got Julian Edelman. Like, they just went through these reinventions. Because remember, they're the Chiefs team that traded away one of the top five wide receivers in football in Tyreek Hill and just found different ways to bring guys in, right? So the challenge is going to be what happens when Travis Kelsey stops becoming an elite tight end. Do you have a replacement there? Can you continue to find guys like Kadarius Toney and Juju Smith-Suster and all these guys Mm -hmm. where you're just bringing them in and you say, hey, come here. You got a chance to win a title like some of these guys have, and you get a chance to – catch passes from Patrick Mahomes because that would be the signature of this thing like again 10 point deficit at halftime and it's like it wasn't even a problem really they came out in the second half and as I mentioned earlier scored on every single (laughs) possession every time they got the ball in the second half they scored against a pretty decent defense yeah uh the Canucks lost Saturday morning in Detroit Saturday morning our time and then they practice yesterday in Vancouver they host the Detroit Red Wings tonight at Rogers Arena in a rematch of sort. Um, Saturday morning, I don't know how many people actually woke up and watched the game. Uh, it was an early 2 nothing deficit for the Canucks as the first two Detroit shots beat Spencer Martin, who is really struggling right now. Yeah. You he- actually don't see NHL goalies struggle this badly, but Thatcher Demko is still hurt, and the other guy is Colin Delia. So it's not like there's a huge upgrade to be had for Spencer Martin, uh, the score effects on Saturday did kick in and the Canucks at the end of the day, you looked at the box score, you looked at the shots on goal and you're like, nah, they played fine, but it's getting hard to judge this team with the goaltending they're getting. Yep. Right. It's getting hard to judge, um, what Rick Tockett is doing. I mean, I think I test you're looking at it and going, yeah, they look a little better defensively, but then you look at the scores and you're like, well, the scores are similar. Yeah, the goaltending is just so so bad. I mean, it was it's been bad all season. Even with Thatcher Demko, uh, early in the season, the goaltending was not good. But for me, I was kind of like, yeah, you know what? Like, I don't know if any goalie is going to be able to put up even half decent numbers with the way the Canucks are playing in front of mm-hmm. those goalies. I've kind of switched a little bit now because my eye test says the Canucks are playing not perfect defense don't get me wrong not perfect defense not perfect puck management they're not like uh you know they're not the old new jersey devils there yep but they're playing better defensively they're just not getting the saves um spencer martin by the way has a i know goals against is a flawed metric but he has a 3.99 goals against on the year and at 871 save percentage 
Like those are, you know, when we say those are '80s numbers, yeah. we need to start recla- reclassifying that. Those are '80s numbers of the bad teams in of the, the 80s. struggling. Yeah, guys. like I'm shocked it's under four. To be honest, crappy yeah. '80 numbers. Nine nine. Like, yeah, like the Hartford Whalers. Like who would have been back in the day? Frank Peterangelo. Like those are his numbers, basically. They're bad, 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 bad. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> You're listening to the best of the day. Halford and Bruff. Besser, I do think they're trying to move him. I do think that he wants to get moved. I think he'd like to go to Minnesota. I think Minnesota likes the idea of him. I do think they talked about a like a green way for Besser kind of deal. 7.33 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Although, judging from some of our texters, some of you may have overindulged at Super Bowl yesterday. You see the texts. I see the texts. Are you a big drinker at Super Bowl parties? I wasn't yesterday. Yeah, me and I actually like to watch the games. So, yeah. I mean, I can, I can do both. I've trained my body. Mm-hmm. Like a ninja. <laughs> no, but you don't want to get like... To the point where you're super hungover the next day. There was a time where, and it was mostly in my early 20s, where it was, you know, you got the the boys have been waiting for a week, and your pre-gaming starts like right at noon Mm -hmm. for a 3 o'clock kickoff, and by the time kickoff comes around, you're like, ooh, I may be in the bag already. (laughs) Like, What are even the rules to this game? You don't know me. Pay me for my squares. And Just then, calling pass interference on every play. Yeah. That was a, it was a draw play. Yeah. One's the Brianna concert. <laughs> Brianna. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think some people are probably still you in know, if I didn't have a girlfriend, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd <laughs> take a run at her. Could have been me. <laughs> um, $5? So... <laughs> Uh, or, you know, like, I think there's some of our listeners, though, that are still very much in that mindset. So there's one text coming in. It's like the best post-game meal is Tums. I used to be there. Brother, I used to be there. I used mm-hmm. to just crush the Tums. Yeah. No, no, no. You're not a Zantac guy? Uh, Zantac's oh, off the market. Loved Here Zantac. Yeah. Uh, Gavis gone, man. Gavis gone. That's my It's my nowhere. Go-to. You can't find it anywhere. Yeah. Not uh, even in America? You can't go down I south? I had to go into, like, Silk Road to find <laughs> yeah, it. Right. Back alley dealings. You can only... <laughs> I, I had to spend all my Bitcoin on Zantac. <laughs> I bought two NFTs and some Zantac. It was great. <laughs> um, uh, now, where, where was I? You threw me off kilter with your Zantac talk. Oh, the hangover was from yesterday. Someone else said that their body is just revolting against them this morning, and it really should be a holiday. Yeah, I came to the realization that holiday or no... It wouldn't matter to us because it's not like we can take the holiday day, the day after the Super Bowl. Like, if you work in sports talk radio, you kind of have to show yeah. up. No, it, like it could be any unless you're Moj, unless you're Moj, right? Unless you're Moj, unless you're at the Super Bowl, yeah. Mm. In which case, you don't have to show up. Let's get into some Elliot Friedman audio uh, because the most recent Thirty Two Thoughts podcast that the kids say it dropped. Word, it is dropped. And there is a Canucks section. The Canucks are no longer like front and center mm-hmm. anymore. The in the back east news, like drama the, in the desert is actually the title. Yeah. For this oh one. right. So, so the desert is the headline. Okay, yeah. but that's a play on the Super Bowl being in the desert, and then there was also a Jacob Chikrin situation, which 
we can get into. Also, uh, we kind of mentioned this already, but here's uh, what Frege had to say on a couple of Canucks that are in the headlines in terms of uh, the trade deadline, which is coming up on March 3rd, Luke Shen and Brock Besser. I have heard the Shen one could happen at any time. The way he plays, he he, the, he risks getting hurt because he plays a tough game. Yeah. And I, I heard that when he got missed the game this week, things kind of accelerated. Like people were saying, okay, we better get him because we don't want him getting hurt there. And I think Vancouver's like, we don't need him getting hurt here. I, I do think that this accelerated. It's one of those really tough things because I, I had people say to me yesterday, they think it, it, it's really close. But then other people remind you, like, it's not done until it's done. Like, I think Calgary's there. I think Boston's there. I think Toronto's been there. I have a sneaking suspicion. And again, it's just a suspicion because I think Dubas is trying to do everything he can to confuse people as to what he's up to, including nosy reporters. Just the intel is saying he's looking at a forward first. Again, I could be proven to be totally wrong about this. But on Saturday afternoon, when I was prepping for the show, that's kind of where I thought they were. And maybe it changes and maybe that's wrong. We'll see. I think that's what Toronto's thinking. So I think a player like Shen has kind of been pushed to the background for then. I was asking everybody I, I spoke to on Saturday, who's the next player to move? And this was before Arizona sent out that tweet. Most people said Shen. They thought that Shen was the next guy to go. We'll see where this ends up. Now, the other thing here, too, is it's been reported now Shen's wife is due to give birth right around the deadline. Mm -hmm. And I do think Vancouver is trying to take that into consideration. So that adds another layer to this. That's good. But he's he's the guy I think everyone's looking at. You know, Besser, I do think they're trying to move him. I do think that he wants to get moved. You know, as I, to as I told you on Friday, I, I think this Minnesota thing is too complicated I think he'd like to go to Minnesota. I think Minnesota likes the idea of him. I do think they talked about a like a greenway for Besser kind of deal. I just don't think it's going to work. The, the one thing about Besser is I had heard that Vancouver kind of thought that Meyer would go first and then Besser would go. But I had another GM tell me, don't ride that with next month's mortgage payment because there are teams out there that know they're not getting Meyer who will just who will look at Besser. So the hard thing for me to figure out is Besser, mm -hmm. an acquisition for a team that wants to load up for the playoffs, or is this more of a, hey, we've got a distressed asset here, maybe we can find some value in this player. Like, what kind of a deal is it? Because Sounds from, like it's teetering back and forth between yeah, both, if we're being honest. Because from a Canucks perspective, I kind of think maybe this is just easier to deal with in the offseason. This is a sizable cap hit we're talking about. Brock Besser has um, two years after this year left on his contract with a cap hit of $6.65 million. Mm -hmm. like, that is a big chunk of change. Now, with Minnesota, there have been people that have suggested, well, just trade him for Dumba in Minnesota and Dumba's cap hit is 6 million. So you can, you can do that. Mm -hmm. But then Mike and I kind of were like, yeah, but they use Dumba a lot. Like he plays over 20 minutes a night in Minnesota. Yep. And even if he has been a healthy scratch or maybe if his play isn't great, like then they would have to replace whatever he was bringing in terms of ice time. Yeah. Um, as for Luke Shen, 
Um, we've all heard the news that his his wife is expecting, and they just want they just want some stability. They know they want to know where she's going to deliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there are rules about uh, or recommendations about how how long you can fly on a plane. Um, like I, I don't know, was it eight months or something like that? I, I don't know. Who are, I don't know. I didn't who, research this part. I don't. I don't know. I've never been pregnant before. I mean, still fingers crossed. But yeah, um, science the, is incredible these days. The Canucks. Uh, they made a movie about that. With Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. wasn't it's not the good. baby. Um, <laughs> it's so not the Duma. So the Canucks play. <laughs> Those are different movies. It, oh. Completely, just <laughs> turn your mic off for a sec. The Canucks play Detroit tonight. The Rangers Wednesday. Giving away tickets. And then Saturday they've got a home game against the Philadelphia Flyers. So I assume that you know, like what Fridge is reporting, that this Luke Shen deal could go down at any point. Um, the question for me is, well, there's a couple, right? I mean, the Canucks could ultimately decide not to trade him. And maybe the news we get is that he's been signed to a contract extension. That, that is cra- the that debate. Would be cra- that would be crazy. But it does sound like it's trending towards a trade. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not Luke Shen would still be open to re-signing in the offseason, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I'm curious what he's worth yep. on the trade market. I think I'm going to be disappointed with anything less than a second-round draft pick. Second-round draft pick is where I'm where I'm uh, pegging my expectations. Yeah, I guess you could try and mine someone's organizational prospect pool and get an actual tangible player in return, a young one that hasn't made it to the NHL yet. But I think the understanding is that Shen has played himself and elevated his worth to the point where you're going to get something good in return for him, especially at the deadline. I go back to those other deals that I alluded to earlier. Now, I think Sherratt and Savard, I think, were the two most recent ones to get traded. Different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, just They just are. Although, honestly, I don't think there's that big of a difference between Sherratt and Shen and what they're going to bring to the team. Teams sometimes, again, we've mentioned this numerous times on the show, it only takes one, and oftentimes there's that one guy that is willing to come out of his boots to make a deal. And by that, I'm talking about general managers. So for Shen, there's a real opportunity to not necessarily hit a home run, but make that whole scenario, bringing him back on a one-year deal, very cheap contract, him elevating his game, you being able to flip him and getting a good tangible asset in return, and then maybe him coming back. It's, it could be a real feather in the cap of management, but I agree with you. I think there's a bar now that's been set, and it could be around a second rounder. As for Besser, I know that everyone wants the Minnesota thing to happen. Hell, I want it to happen because I think it would be great for him. I mm-hmm. think he's, it's been a really tough go the last couple of years. I think I think him going home and being reinvigorated could really put some oomph back in his game and could make that $6.5 million, $6.65 million cap hit seem a lot more manageable and a lot more attainable in terms of are you living up to your contract. I just don't know if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be a really savvy cap-friendly analyst or any like you can just be a very casual observer of the, the finances of the game and say it doesn't make a lot of sense for Minnesota financially right now that's a big ticket to take on maybe there's a couple deals that kind of make sense but you really have to talk yourself into them I suppose the Dumba thing would be yeah we're willing to move them because we don't want to see a unrestricted free agent walk for nothing in the offseason but at that point you're saying well, well then what are your goals as an organization because Trading Dumba doesn't really make you better in the immediacy, and this is very much a team that wants to be in the playoffs. Well, I just wonder um, if they might be telling the Canucks, the Wild, 
hey, just give us the time up until the trade deadline because we don't know what we are right now. Sure. It seems to be, now this could all change, but it looks like it's headed towards Calgary and Minnesota fighting each other for the last wild card spot. If you look at Things the, yeah. will change, right? And in a month, that might be totally different. But the way the Edmonton Oilers are playing, uh, albeit they had a bit of a stinker in Montreal the other day, like they're looking pretty good right now. Yep. They're, six, they're 65 points. They're five points up on Minnesota and Calgary. Um, for a time, it looked like they might be in danger of maybe missing the playoffs, but I think most people kind of assumed, yeah, the Oilers will figure it out. They might not be great, but they'll figure it out enough to get to the playoffs. Same thing with the Colorado Avalanche. Although the Avs are still, they're not certainly not guaranteed anything right now. Uh, L.A. and Seattle, I'm not going to guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs just quite yet, sure. but they are looking pretty good. They've got a nice, they got a decent-sized cushion in terms of the playoffs. I'm just not sure how good they are. Well, I think the thing but is. But Minnesota and Calgary, it looks like those two teams are uh, kind of scuffling for that last spot. And frankly, I'd probably choose the Flames to make the playoffs over Minnesota if I had to choose one. The caveat there is that Marky's got to figure out his game. Yeah, big time. Because I don't think he can rely on Dan Vladar down the stretch. But the interesting thing is that in a month, or even less now, three weeks, when the trade deadline finally gets here, like Minnesota's going to be in the hunt. Like I would be stunned if they go on this extended, or they're all, they're in a bit of a slump right now anyway. But an extended streak to where they play themselves out. Like I know that you know you said, oh maybe give us a little bit more time to figure out what we are. It could be give us a little bit more time to figure out if we you know to get our finances down. Like every day that comes off the calendar comes a little bit less for Brock Besser's price tag. Again, Minnesota really does make sense for him, mm-hmm. but. You know, it's almost like the Carlson thing. Makes sense for him, but I don't know if it makes sense for the Wild. And that's like the Carlson thing in Edmonton. Like, it makes sense for Edmonton. It does, because Edmonton needs a guy like that on its blue line. But it doesn't really... Is Tyson Berry not there anymore? I mean, he's he's so ineffective now. Carlson's... That's a Norris-caliber defenseman you're getting. Can you imagine their power play? (sighs) No, not really. I mean, they'd (laughs) they'd be racking it on a regular basis. The interesting thing is that it makes sense for one party, but... Could you imagine if you're San Jose and they're telling you that you have to eat four million of this deal for the next four years? That's a good roster player. Mm-hmm. Four million dollars a cap hit for each of the next few years, but that's the only way Edmonton can afford it. Yeah, otherwise they can't. I mean, it's so cut and dry from the Oilers' point of view. Like we have a certain amount of money. This is a great player, but he's got a really onerous contract. So then you start saying, well. If you're San Jose and you're Mike Greer, okay, can we do this? Yes. How much is it going to cost? You're looking at Edmonton. You're saying you're going to have to pony up big time for this because this is not only us giving you a Norris caliber defenseman for this year, but we're basically carrying half the freight for the next little bit. So it's very, very confusing. And again, you can talk yourself into these deals. Besser to Minnesota, Carlson to Edmonton. But it actually needs to happen, and that's tough. Um, what do we, and then we got the Chikrin deal, right? Yeah, and I know that Frege addressed this over the weekend. I don't know if we've got the audio for that, but uh, Chikrin, it looked like he was going to the LA Kings, and it looked like the piece going back to Arizona could have been Brant Clark. Yep. And we had brought up Brant Clark 
as, uh, hey, do you think the Canucks could get him in a potential Thatcher-Demko trade? And I suggested probably not. Like, that would be a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. And this all comes back to how hard it is to find defensemen versus goalies. Yep. And I'm not suggesting that it's easy to find a really good goalie, but I'm suggesting it's easier <laughs> to find a really good goalie than it is to find a really good young defenseman. And perhaps what the Kings are thinking is, well, I don't want to give up Brant Clark, but Jacob Trickin is a good young defenseman. Cost-controlled. And we are in a window right now. I don't think anyone looks at the Kings and are like, that's like a serious Stanley Cup contender. But they're in a window of sorts, right? Mm-hmm. They've got some good young players. They've also signed some veterans. They have Kopitar and Doughty still. And they've got Kevin Fiala and Philip Deneau. Like These are guys that they've signed with the expectations of winning now. And maybe they see Jacob Trickeren as this upgrade because obviously Brant Clark is not playing for them right now. Yeah. So they bring in another top four defenseman and go, hey, we got a chance here. If you're looking at the West right now, who are you really scared of? Seriously. Like Dallas looks good. Dallas does look Dallas good. looks good. Um, I think, I mean, Winnipeg's having a great season, but I don't think they're just like this like unbeatable force in Winnipeg. Colorado has injury issues, and they've kind of been scuffling all season. Yeah. Kale McCarr's hurt now. They're the one that scares me, if you're, to answer your question. But, they but, are the but, one that scares Okay, me. but if you're looking at the Pacific Division, if you're the LA Kings, I was looking at this yesterday and going, man, the Oilers are going to make another conference finals. Just based on uh, – Vegas seems to be running into more and more issues every every day. Who knows if Mark Stone's going to be ready for the playoffs for he's, them? He's not. Now they've got <laughs> now they got Logan Thompson. or and if he is, what level is he going to be? Now their goaltender Logan Thompson has an injury and he's week to week, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. The interesting thing with Vegas for me, if is- I'm the Oilers, I'm like expectations are a rematch in the conference final. Probably with Colorado, but maybe it's going to be with Dallas. I, I, I would I, right now. I would actually put Vegas more likely than Edmonton because they've got the organizational mandate. Like if if Stone's on LTIR until the playoffs, because by the way, this is exactly what Colorado's doing with Linus Cog as well. It gives you that flexibility to go out and be super aggressive. And who's been the most aggressive team? Over the last three or four years, like it's been Vegas. Like any anytime someone comes up and available, Vegas is at the forefront. Could they go? Up, could they come out of their shoes to try and do something? Yeah, they've got that that organizational philosophy where it's if there's a big big prize available that they'll go out and get it. Right? You mentioned Thompson being out too. They do have a, a nice backup option, in Aiden Hill, who is an NHL goaltender. So mm-hmm. I guess he is an NHL goaltender. Yeah, I wouldn't. Well, <laughs> there's certain teams that we follow here, Mike. That. Don't have one NHL goaltender on their true. roster. There's so a difference between they have two in Vegas. Is what well, my point is. What did you guys make of the Tyler Myers to Toronto? Not much. I mean, I guess it's I was there. shocked by that. Boudreaux, uh, so Bruce Boudreaux made his debut on NHL Network last week. He's mm. now an analyst. He's back on our side of the table, and he mentioned it during one of his hits where they were talking about what he remembered from his time with Myers. I tried to find the audio, but I couldn't track it down. So I'll paraphrase. Basically, was very complimentary of Myers's game. Uh, said that he thought Toronto would be a great fit. He acknowledged the contract potentially being an issue. And then, you know, rather cleverly uh, alluded to the fact that there's history there with the two teams making deals with the Travis Dermott trade earlier. So I'm like, oh, good job, Bruce. Good analysis there. But I don't know. For I mean, me, the big story here is the bonus that Tyler Myers is due. 
for next season. It's right. a $5 million bonus. So his actual salary next year after that bonus is paid is just a million bucks. So financially speaking, what are the Canucks thinking here? Because if, if you know, as a fan, you would hope that the Canucks would sit there and go, okay, we'll pay the bonus, pay the five million bucks. And then in theory, you should be able to get more for Tyler Myers after that bonus is paid because there will be some teams in the offseason that will be like, wow, you know, like $1 million defenseman that can play. Yeah. Right? And that's that, that, not cap hit. His cap hit would still be $6 bucks. But then if you're the Canucks, you're probably like, I don't want to pay him that bonus. No. I want to trade him before that bonus is due. I think right now, looking at the deadline and looking at the major surgery that Jim Rutherford is hoping to uh, conduct on this team, I think, to be honest, if you want to like power rank the likelihoods, I actually think that conceptually moving Myers is going to be easier than moving Besser because I think there's more inherent value in what Myers would bring to a team on the way to the playoffs. Right now, yeah. 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 I, I, for all of his flaws as a player – Except those flaws, he's still six foot seven, and he and he he would be more valuable in a playoff type situation where they won't call as many penalties. That'll be nice for him on a personal level. I mean, you the, could the talk, turnovers would have to be. Limited, you could though. talk yourself into it. You say, um, well, on a team with more structure, he's he's not going to be quite as as chaotic as he was in Vancouver. Yep. I still think it's going to be a tough thing for the Canucks to do. And you, you bring in the same questions that you have with Brock Besser. Would the Canucks have to retain salary sure. in order to move him out? And then, by the way, there's also the question of, and, and not that I'm against moving Tyler Myers, don't get me wrong here, who are you going to replace him with? Like <laughs> this, yeah. You know what's so funny in Vancouver is that we've been so focused on um, moving salary out that we haven't even had time really to like talk about, okay, well <laughs> – Who's going to come in and play defense? Well, I'm at the right? point, I'm at the point where the defense needs such a major overhaul that it's almost I, it sounds just stupid. break stuff, just break, break stuff. Yeah. yeah, like you're in the you're in the <laughs> yeah, demo totally. part of the renovation, right? Like yeah. you call your buddies over, you get a six pack, and you're like, pick up a sledgehammer, we're taking down that wall. Like yeah. that's where you're at. And at maybe a wall gets rebuilt, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, we don't need the wall. It's not a <laughs> load bearing wall. It's a, you know. So you look at it, and you're saying, yeah, just change the group again. I openly had a conversation this morning where I suggested that the penalty kill could dip below 60% on the season. I'm behind it. The goal for the push for 60. <laughs> that to me is just blow it all up territory. Like you're so historically bad. It doesn't necessarily matter what the new pieces look like. You just need to get rid of the current ones. Mm-hmm. This is the best of Halford and Bruff. Download the full show through Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.